Is it now? Mm. So I flipped it, but I flipped it the wrong way. Classic. Yeah. Well, like I whispered and you couldn't hear a second ago, I said that uh, it is hard to transition from um, a moment we just prayed through and thought about to the talk for the morning, especially as we are tag teaming. Uh, This is Joseph's and my first time tag teaming together, so we have no idea how this will go. Uh, But I will say this before um, we jump in. Uh, Joseph has been an incredible addition to staff. We're thrilled uh, that he is here and uh, that youth group is beginning to meet in person, uh, which we've been long anticipating and so excited about what's on the horizon uh, and just excited uh, for the opportunity to be together and uh, share this morning. You want to say anything before we read the passage? Hello, everyone. Great to be with you. I also, Russ, just so you know, I got a water here. Uh huh. But if you need one, uh, I know we haven't taken communion in a while. Yeah, the chalice. But I just, yeah, I got that for you. Thank you. Just in case you get thirsty. I appreciate that. Get a little swig there. All right. Thank yeah. you. Okay. Uh, we are in John chapter 21. It will be on the screen. If you have your Bible with you, I would encourage you to open it. I think there's something unique and different about opening our text and being able to see uh, the words and, uh, and to tangibly know where we're going in the scriptures. So John chapter 21, we are starting in this story where um, Jesus has been resurrected. He comes to the disciples. They're out fishing. He invites them in, and the text says this. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my lambs. And again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. Uh, This was the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and said, Lord, who is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. Because of this, the rumor spread among the believers that this disciple would not die. But Jesus did not say that he would not die. He only said, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? This is the disciple who testifies to these things and who wrote them down. We know that his testimony is true. Jesus did many other things as well. Every one of them were written down. I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written. So you have this amazing moment, this opportunity with Jesus, and we're going to engage in this morning. 
Yeah, and if you've been with us over the last few weeks, you'll know that we're nearing the end of our series, Life of Jesus. And so over the last couple months, what we have been aiming to do is have a conversation about who Jesus of Nazareth was and learning what it means for us to become the type of people who embody his vision for what he called the kingdom of God. We've looked at how Jesus subverted systems and structures of power and stood in solidarity with marginalized and oppressed people. He lived this upside-down life of suffering and hospitality, humility, and justice. We've seen how incredibly controversial Jesus was and how frequently he frustrated the powerful people who thought they had this whole religious thing figured out. And over these last two weeks, we've seen that in a wonderfully mysterious and horrifically provocative way, Jesus of Nazareth somehow ushered in a new reality for the possibility of God's beautiful reign of goodness and love, healing and justice and peace in the world. So next week, we're going to end our series by looking how we, as Jesus followers, carry on this sacred story forward by partnering with God to renew the world and see heaven come to earth. And this morning, as we look at John 21, I want us to see themes of healing and restoration and hope and calling and purpose. But I also want us to see a little bit of what we talked about last week, that Jesus is in this passage both the risen Savior and the gardener, that he's tending to the soul of his disciples, that he's encouraging the life of Peter. And uh, our hope this morning is not that we would just rehear this story, but that we might actually find ourselves in the story, that we might feel in a certain way that God is giving the same calling to us. Yeah, and as we come for our passage today, which we just read, we learn that Jesus is gone and his male disciples, and specifically Peter, is completely distraught. The show is over, the movement is dead, the hype is gone, and they have gone back to face their greatest fear, unmet expectations, which is something that we all can relate to here this morning. If you can, I want you just, if you know the story of Peter, I just want you to imagine what Peter must have been feeling in this moment. Try, if you can, and I know it's hard to, in a 21st century, imagine what it was like to be in the first century, but do your best and try to put yourself in Peter's shoes. You are this lower-class, poor, peasant fisherman who is just minding his own business, doing your best to pay the bills. You're likely a teenager and have a somewhat secure future ahead of you contributing to the family business of fishing. And one day, this traveling itinerant rabbi shows up on the scene and gives you the chance of a lifetime. You have been handpicked by this man to attend his school of faith. Imagine the pride in your parents' eyes and the excitement you must have felt to drop everything and follow this teacher. And if you play your cards right, you could move up the ladder in his school and maybe even one day become a rabbi yourself. You'd be the talk of the town. You wouldn't be living paycheck to paycheck or struggling to make ends meet. You'd finally live the life you always wanted. 
And even this rabbi Jesus has been telling you, all, you and all these other disciples that you were going to change the world, right? You were going to become fishers of men. You were going to usher in this new kingdom where the last will be first and the first will be last, which for you is amazing news because as a fisherman who lived paycheck to paycheck, you won't be on the bottom anymore. This is your chance to shine, the chance to move up the ladder in the world. Finally, all these rich people who keep getting more and more rich will be last in the kingdom, and those of us who are scraping by will finally come first. We are going to change the world. So you trade in your nets for the chance of a lifetime to follow this traveling rabbi and see this new world that people have been waiting thousands of years to see. But then, over the course of three years of being confused and yelled at by this man who you can't seem to understand and you have no idea what he's saying, this rabbi says the wrong thing to the wrong people at the wrong time and gets himself killed. And the movement is dead, your future is gone, and you're furious and sad and confused and angry and lost. Your expectations have not been met. Everything you thought was going to happen never actually happened. And now you don't know what to do. So you walk home, you face your father that you left to chase your dreams, which never happened. You get your boat back, you grab the nets, and you head back to the only thing that you were ever good at. Which you don't even love at this point, but your dreams are dead and there are bills to pay, and now I have to figure out this new normal way of life. Wave after wave of unmet expectations. Peter, along with these other male disciples, have given up hope. They're grieving, they're angry, they're bitter, they're confused, they're wondering what happened and how are they supposed to carry on. And I wonder how many of us feel the same way in this moment. How many of us are living with a constant state of disappointment? How many of us are angry or confused or lonely or bitter or nervous? How many of us feel like our dreams have died? Maybe you're living with a low-level grade of anxiety or fear or disappointment, feeling like you are not living the life that you thought you were going to live. I feel like these Feelings are summarized really well by the great philosopher, lecturer, and Scranton businessman, Michael G. Scott. During his grief counseling seminar, Michael says this, I feel like somebody took my heart and dropped it into a bucket of boiling tears. And at the same time, somebody else is hitting my soul in the crotch with a frozen sledgehammer. And then a third guy walks in and starts punching me in the grief bone and I am crying, and nobody can hear me because I am terribly, terribly alone. Now, we may not feel like we are getting constantly punched in the grief bone, but most of us can relate to a sense of feeling disappointed and feeling nervous and upset and feeling like your life has not panned out the way that you thought it was. And maybe the experience that Michael is sharing about or the experience that Peter is having mirrors what we are experiencing in this moment. The grief, the sorrow, the loneliness. And the question for us becomes, what is the call of Jesus for us in the midst of all these emotions 
we're feeling. So that's the question. What is the call of Jesus for us in the midst of all the emotions that we're feeling? And uh, the answer to that is a bit of a paradox. I think what's unique about this passage is uh, Jesus does not, and he often does not, meet our perceived expectations, the perceived norms of culture. We assume he would respond a certain way, and yet he responds differently than we imagined. If I was Peter, I think I would have longed to have been comforted. Joseph described it adequately. I'm feeling confused and lonely and rejected. My dreams have been shattered. The things that I thought I had given my life to for the last three years are kind of put on hold or maybe even just completely done. I don't even know what the imagined future looks like. And in that moment, when Jesus shows up, that's when I would want Jesus to comfort me. That's when I would want Jesus to remind me of all the good moments we've had together over the last three years. I would want to sit down by the fire and him go, hey, remember that time we fed 5,000, but they only recorded 5,000 because it was the men, but it was really like 20,000? Do you remember that time? Do you remember the time then when we did it with 4,000? And then you guys still thought I couldn't do it, even though I did 20,000 the time before. Like, what's up with that? But like reminding them of all these cool moments, the times we healed people, the times that we got to go and preach all over. And you'd want that. At least I think I would. I'd want encouragement and comfort and being reminded of the good things that happened. And yet what Jesus reminds Peter of is the most disappointing moment of all the moments they experienced together. What? Why? Why would he do that? And then on top of that, you go, okay, I'm in, I'm in stages of grief. I am in mourning. I don't know what's going on. My life is upside down, and you have to remind me of the thing that I'm most ashamed of. But here's the paradox. It isn't just that he was reminded of that. He instead takes Peter back to the beginning. And he takes them to the central elements of their relationship together. Yeah, and if you'll remember, Peter takes him back to this ethic of love, right? That was the whole ethic that this movement of Jesus was centered on, this message of love. Peter's relationship starts with love and is maintained by love and in this moment ends with love. Through his entire relationship with Jesus, this Messiah, this teacher, this leader is loving Peter despite his shortcomings and despite his failures. Jesus is constantly demonstrating what love looks like to Peter and the rest of his followers. And our call is to do the same, to orient our lives and relationships around this ethic of love where we are centered on loving God and loving others in every situation that we're in. So not only does he remind them of this central element of love, he also reminds them of the deep call to relationship. So he uses the words, follow me. And while they are a command and something that he's told to do, I think they also highlight this idea that we are in a place of dependence. We're in a place of relationship that we are supposed to be people that place our entire weight of trust on the person we're in relationship with. So not only is it love, but this idea of relationship and following is central to what they want to do together, and it's foundational to 
the next part, which is our calling. Yeah, and our calling in the text is very clear. Jesus says, feed my sheep. And despite the discouragement and loneliness and despair and disappointment that Peter and the other disciples, I'm sure, were feeling, Jesus calls Peter, and in so doing us, to meet those emotions and feelings with a call to feed my sheep. Now, there's so much we could say on this, uh, but I just want us to notice that the call is in the midst of our disappointment Mm -hmm. and unmet expectations. It's not instead of, it's not on top of, it's right in the middle of. I want us to notice that this call is to turn our attention to others. To put our faith into action is to lay down our lives for the sake of other people. Even when we're discouraged, even when we're lonely, even when we're angry or bitter or disappointed at the circumstances that we find ourselves in, the call of Jesus in meeting him in those circumstances is to lay down your life for others and to feed his sheep. Leveraging your time and energy and money and resources for the sake of others. Because it is in the midst of loving others well that we will find rest for our souls. Which is, again, is the paradox of life with Jesus. That we are called in the midst of our brokenness to leverage our lives for the sake of the inclusion and liberation and healing of others. Again, in our culture, which directs its attention to self, it's easy for us to go, no, what I need is not to live for the sake of others. What I need is me. What I need is my own safety, my own security, and my own help, my own stuff, whatever it is. And the paradox is to shift and go, no, actually you will find yourself in the service of others. Actually, the way you love refills who you are. And this is not a new topic. This is not something that Jesus in this moment was like, hey, let's just focus on others for a second. It's been from the beginning, right? So in Genesis, you'll notice like one of the first things stated. So God created man and woman in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And then the first thing he says, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over it. And the idea is... You are here for a purpose. And the purpose isn't you. The purpose is others. The purpose is the world. The purpose is humanity. You are here for more than just yourself. You go further in the text. Israel, I will multiply your offsprings as the stars of heaven and will give your offspring all of these lands. And in your offspring, notice, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. What, G- what God is saying in this is as I bless you, you will bless all the nations. If we make this personal, as I bless you, and that doesn't just mean with resources or money, that means as I bless you, care for you, tend to your heart like a gardener, as I do that, you are to be doing the same for others. You're to bless others, care for, love, serve, right? It's this conduit of grace that goes through us to others. That's the point. It isn't so you can just fill up and be, have more of God's grace for self, but that it's for 
others. You see this in Jesus saying, love your neighbor as yourself. You see it in the New Testament where it says, do not repay evil for evil, but on the contrary, bless for this, for to this you were called. Or don't look out for your own interests, but look out for the interests of others. This is a repeated idea again and again and again. With the blessing that I have given you, you are to bless others. And to be clear, just to kind of address the elephant in the room, these kind of conversations can very easily become philosophical, right? They can, if we're not careful, we can focus on how we're feeling and what we're thinking and lose focus of what we're supposed to do in response to those feelings and emotions. So as we wrap up today, I want us to do a little dreaming, okay? Everybody okay with that? Do a little dreaming? Okay, I like dreaming. I want to creatively give you some ideas that you can put into practice right now. Some physical action steps that you can take to respond and incarnate this vision of feeding my sheep or caring for others. Again, these talks can sometimes end in calls to like give more money to the church or serve on the media team or like become a youth leader, all of which we need. But... God might want to give you other creative ways to contribute your own culture of restoration in the world. And I want to give space, these are just ideas that we came up with, just ideas for God to maybe stir something in you as you read these. So what are some ways you can feed my sheep and exist for the sake of others practically on the ground in this city with these people right now. And as Joseph said, we're going to give you a few, um, and the idea is to build on that, add to it, make it your own. Don't just uh, sign up for, I'll do number six, right? That's not what we're looking for, all right? So maybe the first one, maybe you show up to a city council meeting or a neighborhood assembly or a group time and advocate for an adjusted city budget to care for mental health public transportation, education, housing, addiction counseling, the list can go on and on. Find an area of need in the city, show up, and advocate for it. Maybe you take your social media and you change who you follow to ensure that your digesting each day pushes you towards empathy and love and liberation for the oppressed. Maybe you only eat rice and beans every Tuesday night for dinner to stand in solidarity with the 1.2 billion people who are living in poverty and make less than $2 a day. Maybe you take one week and only buy items, food, clothing, etc., from a world-majority-owned and operated business. Perhaps you advocate in your uh, workplace for employment training and anti-racism training for you and all of your coworkers. Perhaps it's as simple as calling up a cup of cool water in their job training program this summer and asking them to paint your house. And as they learn that skill to become able to be employed in the city, they also learn the qualities of good work. Newcomb Youth, how many youth we got here today? Quiet, Very, quiet group. Quiet bunch. Let's try, that, let's try that again. How many youth we got here today? Raise them up. There we go. Yes. That's what's up. Uh, Newcomb youth, this is for you, but everybody else too. 
we are attending a march this Saturday as we advocate for policy change to see an end to homelessness and ensure the utmost dignity is afforded to all members of the Spokane community because we believe that no person can be separated from their inherent worth and infinite value as a person. So we're partnering with this organization to stand together in solidarity with our friends on the street. So, youth, you can come, but everybody else, you can come too. Uh, maybe you sign up to support safe families and help keep Spokane children and families safe and supported as they face a crisis. Uh, maybe every illustration we've given so far makes you go, wow, biblical justice is difficult and it is challenging. So what we'll do is just read the words of Romans 12 that says this. Maybe you start here. Let your love be genuine. Hate what is evil. Hold fast to the good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Contribute to the needs of the saints. Show hospitality. Live in harmony with one another. Associate with the lowly. Repay no one evil, but do what is honorable in the sight of all, and as far as it is possible, live peaceably with all people. That's a simple list, right? I mean, nothing to it. But to actually engage in those ways and to be living with love. Yeah, maybe those of you who are in school, you pick the kid that no one wants to pick when you have to select partners for your upcoming science project. Or, like I said, maybe you become a youth leader, because right now it's just me and Sydney, and we need some help. <laughs> but regardless, the goal of this little practice or exercise is to leverage who you are. What's your personality? What are you interested, what, interested in? What resources do you have? What relationships can you leverage for the sake of serving and loving other people, even in the midst of disappointment or loneliness or frustration? And sometimes what we can be tempted to do is to look at the command, feed my sheep, and go, man, I've just got to figure out what that looks like, and it's prescriptive, and it requires something of me. But the truth is, I think all of that, this is predicated on the idea that if Jesus was standing in front of James, he might not have said, feed my sheep, to James. If he was standing in front of you, he might say something different than feed my sheep. The truth is, he would probably call us to something. And the question that we have to wrestle with for today is, Spirit, what is it that you're calling me to? What is it that you're calling this community to? But more specifically, what are you calling me to? And that might look wildly different from the person just down the pew from you. That might look wildly different than the person that you live with or your neighbor. It might look wildly different than the people you're in small group with. And that's the beauty of the body of Christ, because it's supposed to. If we all went and leveraged our efforts and energy toward one thing, to make disciples and to love people, man, that would go a long way, but a lot would be left out. And he has uniquely gifted each and every one of us with certain passions and desires, certain needs, certain ways of making a difference, and he is calling each of us to do that. And so maybe you sit for 10 minutes and you just dream. You write your own list. You ask the Spirit, Spirit, what would you have for me to do? 
and then begin to pray through that and explore that. Because for all of us, we all have that same calling to exist for the sake of others, to get our attention off of self and on to someone else. And I want us to remember this before we close in prayer, that in all of these things that we are encouraging or in all these things that we're asking the Spirit to invite us into, we know that none of it is possible without Jesus Christ. So if any of us thinks, oh, I'll go out and solve that particular problem, I'll go out and make a difference in my neighborhood in these ways. If in any way we're thinking we're doing that in our own effort, our own strength, our own ability, I think it's wise to remind ourselves that we have a treasure, the text says, the Spirit of God in us. We have that treasure in jars of clay, broken, fragile vessels. Why? To show that the all-surpassing power of God is present. God doesn't need any of us to do what he will get done. But he partners with us. And somehow he's more magnified when he looks on Russ and goes, well, we'll still get it done. Right? We'll still get it done. And may that be our prayer this morning. Yeah, so as we close in prayer, um, we just want us to do that, to create space, to listen to Holy Spirit, and to just ask this one question. Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me right now? So let's do that together, just right where you're at. Um, Holy Spirit, you have access to our minds and our thoughts. You know our experience. You are aware of and concerned with the most intimate details of our life. So we pray right now that you would come, Holy Spirit, and, and move among us, that you would have your way, that your thoughts... God would become our thoughts. Let's just take a minute to listen, take a deep breath. Invite Holy Spirit to speak to you. Let's listen together.